Well, friends, as I said before, we're starting a new series this week. It's called Ghosts of Christmas Past, letting go of things and hurts and offenses and mistakes that are from our past, but somehow they continue to shackle us in the present. Now, what I'm excited about is this is the first Sunday of Advent. This is November 29th. And because of that, usually right after Thanksgiving, everything shifts from Thanksgiving toward Christmas. And one of my favorite Christmas songs comes from the 1960s. You probably know it well. It's by a, a wonderful singer, a joy-filled man. His name is Andy Williams, and it's called It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings, when friends come to call, it's the hap happiest season of all. You know, every time I hear that song, it puts me into a great Christmas holiday mood. I don't know about you. Uh, I might ask you a question right now if you're joining us on Facebook Live. I just shared one of my favorite Christmas songs. What is one of your favorite Christmas songs? Maybe you could chat a little comment in there on Facebook Live, sharing what is your favorite Christmas song? You know, many of us are trying to be happy and joyful during this Christmas season, but for some of us, we find ourselves clinging to memories that are not so joyful. They're not so precious. Sometimes your past mistakes your pains, your hurts can haunt you in the presence. And it's in this particular time that you and I need to face the ghosts of our Christmas past. Now, you know where that term comes from. It comes from a wonderful British author named Charles Dickens. In 1843, in December, he published a novel that almost instantly became a classic and a bestseller. Uh, many of you have not read the book, but you've certainly seen a variation of the movie. My particular favorite is with George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. Of course, Ebenezer is the lead character in that story. And he's an old, curmudgeony, crotchety, bitter man. He's alone. He's rich. He's wealthy. Um, and he has made a mess of his life, and he doesn't even realize it. And so four visitors come to him that night, his old business partner, and then the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and lastly, the ghost of Christmas future to warn Ebenezer Scrooge that if he does not change his ways, he is in for a very dark, unhappy future. So one of the things about the, the timing of A Christmas Carol with Charles Dickens is that Great Britain at the time was in the middle of a huge industrial revolution. Capitalism was taking root and really roaring big in the British Empire. There were many people who were getting rich, but at the, at the same time, there were not very many laws and rights that protected the common workers from being exploited by the owners and the business owners and managers. Dickens, what he wanted to do was to point out that there was a downside to all of that greed and prosperity in Great Britain. If one did not have regard for one's 
fellow human beings, it doesn't matter how much money one made in this world. Do you remember Jesus' words? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? That's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge in The Christmas Carol. Dickens wanted to point out the downside of greed and prosperity uh, without having any regard for one's fellow human beings. And so Dickens, he decided to put his message in a story form. Stories are the best kind of vehicle for conveying good moral lessons. Jesus certainly knew that. Well, today we're going to be talking about two of the ghosts of Christmas past. The very first one is the one we're going to talk about today. The ghost number one is the memory of our past offenses. And then ghost number two would be the memory of our past mistakes. The first one is what has been done to us. The second ghost that we must battle is what we have done to somebody else. Now, uh, these, both of these ghosts are very serious and they can be devastating to your walk with God if you let them be. Now, the first ghost, as I said, is the memory of our past offenses. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I, I do want to show you one graphic because before we get into our past hurts and offenses, maybe some of us, in fact, many, most of us, we can trace back some of our deepest hurts and pains back to our family of origin, back to our family upbringing. Let's talk about that graphic where there are three spheres of influence in God's design for human beings. The very first and, and, and most basic sphere of influence that God has given to the human race is the family. We are raised in a family. And of course, we're supposed to be raised in a family of love and discipline and acceptance and the right use of authority, teaching us right from wrong, showing us what is good and bad, and teaching us to live the right way. Then there is the government, where God has given uh, government authority to maintain order and to punish evil in this world. And then the third sphere of influence that God has given us is the church, the family of God. And the, the family of God, of course, represents Christ here on earth, and we are to be loving God with all of our heart and learning how to love our neighbor as ourself. And hopefully you grew up in a culture in which all of three of these spheres were working in the right order, where God was there in your life through the church. Maybe you grew up going to Sunday school, going to church, going to youth group, learning how to act like a Christ follower in a community of fellow believers. Uh, all of us grew up in a family. I don't know if you were raised in a Christian family or not. I was raised in a nominal Christian family. We acknowledged God and Jesus. We tried to live by the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I didn't grow up knowing Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. I learned that as a teenager when I was 17, beginning my senior year of high school. So these spheres of influence are de designed by God to be a blessing. But you and I both know that we live in a fallen human world. And in this fallen world, this broken world that has been marred by sin in so many different ways and shapes and sizes, that even the family that we grew up in was broken. It was not, we did not love our neighbor completely as ourselves, the way God would want us to be in our families. And so we 
uh, experienced a lot of past hurts and offenses, even in the sphere of influence of our family. I want to talk about five different ghosts of our past offenses. Now, there could be very many others. You could probably be going through this list with me and you could say, I could think of at least two or three others. Uh, but I, I'm going to talk about five of these today and, and ho hopefully they can catch most of them. These are the ghosts of our past hurts and offenses. We have the hurts, we have bullying, we have abuse. That's probably more verbal abuse. We have rejection, and then we have the past offense of physical harm, physical abuse that maybe you had to endure when you were growing up in life. Let's talk about that first one, just the general idea of past hurts. You know, it is true, friends, no one gets out of this life here on earth without some hurts, without some pains, without some disappointments. You know, even the people who were born into the highest, most blessed families on earth experienced hurts when they were growing up. Lisa and I recently have been watching this Netflix series called The Crown. And of course, it's the idea of Queen Elizabeth when she first was growing up as a teenager and then as a young woman, her father died and she became queen as a young lady in like 1952. She's been uh, queen of England for 68 years. I don't think her son Charles is ever gonna make it as king. He's lived a long time as the crown prince. But anyway, in the point that I'm trying to make about watching the crown is even those royal characters, as privileged as they were, experienced hurts in life. One of the, the broken aspects of that royal family, the House of Windsor there in England, was a lack of physical affection from their parents. It made the children not feel fully loved and accepted and it damaged them throughout uh, their time growing up and, and throughout their adult years. Because a lot of times what happens to us as parents, we think is normal, and so we just pass on what our parents did to us to our children and even to our grandchildren. And sometimes it's growing, up and growing in the church where we discover the Christian faith uh, is about a different way of life, a way of love and acceptance and affection. We realize, wow, God's way of raising us up in a family, ideally was way better than the way that you were raised and that perhaps I was raised. So that's just the area of general hurts. The second area is the area of bullying. Now, I don't know what you experienced growing up in school. I understand that in most cases, the middle school years, sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, maybe even ninth grade, they could be the worst because kids are immature and kids are trying to make a name for themselves. And some people think the only way that I can be important is by bullying everybody around me. And maybe you were the victim of someone in school who harassed you, who made fun of you, who stole your lunch, who, who wanted all your spare change. Uh, maybe they bullied you on the school campus. Maybe they bullied you on the way home. Maybe it made you sick and you didn't even want to go to school. It made you fearful of going to school because you knew you had to face that bully. That's a, a, a terrible way to have to grow up and, you, and that would leave some scars and some past hurts and offense. The third one is abuse. Now, 
Maybe you were verbally abused when you were young, maybe by your parents or maybe by a teacher who said that you didn't have any potential or you didn't have enough intelligence or you weren't very good in this particular subject in school. And that left a, a mark on you. Maybe somebody important in your life told you something like this, you aren't good enough. You aren't smart enough. You're not capable enough. Or maybe you're not strong enough, or you're, you're just not tough enough. You need to get tough. And you had a real tender, sensitive personality. Maybe you were unfavorably compared to a brother or sister. You know, you want to learn about dysfunctional families in the Bible? All you need to do is go and read the book of Genesis. Because one of the worst things you see in the first families of the Bible from Abraham on down is how parents favored one child over another child and how that damaged all the siblings in that family. Just ask Joseph, for example. Now, uh, being unfavorably compared to a sibling and, and perhaps that verbal abuse made you feel less than and it ate away at any confidence that you might have had going into life. As you went into young adulthood and adulthoods, you didn't have the confidence. You know, the idea of, of raising up a child in the right way is they say that uh, arrows are, uh, are children and children are like arrows. They are in the quiver of their parents. And so the parents, you know, they're slowly raising their kids. They're, they're slowly drawing back the bow of that arrow, which is their child knowing that when their child reaches young adulthood, they're going to let go of the, of the string of the bow and they're going to launch their child into the world. And you want to launch their, your child into the world with love and grace and confidence and forgiveness and acceptance and the idea that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It would be awesome to be raised in a, in a household like that, a family like that. But a lot of us were not, and instead we endured abuse. The fourth uh, offense that we're talking about is rejection. Now, maybe your father or mother just decided at some point that they didn't want to deal with their family anymore. Maybe they, they had hurts from their past. You know, they say that hurt people hurt other people. And so from their brokenness and their damaged relationships and their lack of love and acceptance, maybe they reached a point where they were inside a family and they said, you know what? I don't want to be part of this family anymore. I don't want to deal with the hassles or the responsibility or the, 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 the pressure that the family puts on me to provide or to or, or take care of my family. I just don't want that anymore. And they left you. And you were left with a feeling of abandonment. That is a real deep hurt and offense. That can feel like intense personal rejection. Like you didn't even matter enough to either your mom or your dad for them to stay and stick it out and persevere and endure the family dynamics in a relationship that, yeah, it may have been stressful. It may have been difficult. But love would work through all that if they had enough of it. And instead, they made a selfish choice, and you felt the rejection of that. The last one is 
probably the one of the worst of all, and that's just physical harm. Maybe in your growing up years, there was some real abuse in your family of origin, or maybe even in a marriage or in a personal relationship with a significant other. Maybe some parents or spouse's idea of discipline or trying to control you to get them to do what they wanted you to do, to live the way they wanted you to live, that desire for control was was taking out physical abuse on you. And they obviously, they went too far. They physically hurt you. And perhaps they even left some deep scars. Maybe they left some scars on your body, but, but even deeper than that, they left some scars on your soul. They're, those five areas are terrible. And the reality is, friends, that sometimes when we go into the holiday season and we're thinking about, oh, the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holiday, and you spend time with relatives, you spend time with family, your family of origin, people that perhaps you had broken relationships growing up with. And now here we are in the holiday season and, and you're thinking about spending time with those family members and even a short visit, it stirs up all kinds of painful memories of the past hurts and offenses and, and pain that you endured growing up. And sometimes thinking about getting together with them again, you relive those painful experiences and it colors your view. It colors your attitude uh, toward those people in your life. It's hard to forgive, friends. It is hard to forgive the people who have hurt us. But the truth is, friends, that we cannot find healing. We cannot get better. We cannot find wholeness in our lives if we keep holding on to those hurts and offenses year after year after year. It just leads in our lives, all it really leads to, it leads to bitterness. It leads to pent up, maybe deep down, deep-seated anger, like a, like a slow boiling volcano that's getting ready to erupt. And you keep trying to repress that anger and that hurt and that offense and push it down, but it's got to come up somewhere. A lot of times it comes up in anger toward people that you really do love and care about. That hurt leads to bitterness and resentment and the worst victim of all in all of that. You're trying to pay somebody back for the hurt that they caused you and, you, and yet you find that the worst victim of all is yourself. The truth is, most everyone around you can sense that bitterness and that resentment in you. It makes you toxic to them. And even though you want to try to bond or connect with somebody, that bitterness and resentment and that pent-up anger make you toxic to the people around you. And they start to avoid you. And you know why? Because they can feel that toxic attitude. And so the very people that you want around you, you end, up, you end up pushing away because you haven't dealt with the ghosts of your past hurts and offenses. So what do we do? How can you get better? How does God want you to live now? What does God want you to do? Well, the very first thing he wants you to do, and it's real simple, it's what I say, it's, it's like instant oatmeal to think about but it's brain surgery to actually live out and accomplish, is God wants you to practice forgiveness. You say, oh, great, that's easy to say. How? How do I do that? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. 
uh, we're going to talk about a fresh start and a new person that Christ makes you. Let's go with step number one. Step number one in getting better, in overcoming these past hurts and offenses, is to realize that because of Jesus, you now have a living relationship with God, with your Creator. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? Have you put your trust in Jesus to be your forgiver and the leader of your life? Because if you have, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Friends, in Christ, you are given a fresh start. That makes you a new person. You are on your way now. You are on a irretrievable pathway of becoming a new, renewed, um, sanctified is the, is the theological word that they use, person in Jesus Christ. And that is a wonderful idea. But try to remember that you're just starting out that journey. You haven't become the new person yet, but God is starting to transform you into that new person. And so anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, and you realize that. That's step number one. As far as God's forgiveness goes, look at this promise in Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his, is God's love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. So all of the hurt and pain that we've caused other people and the damage that we've done to ourselves and our own soul, God says, I'm going to take all of those sins and I'm going to remove them from you as far as the east is from the, from the west. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So you are forgiven. That's step number one. You're a new creation in Christ. Step number two is you need to experience that. You need to receive God's forgiveness. Look what Paul says in Romans. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in Jesus, God justified you by faith. God now sees you, as Billy Graham used to say, just as if I had never sinned. He sees you with the lens of Christ. You are forgiven. You're clean. You have a clean state, slate and a fresh start. You're justified. And because of that, you have peace with God. You may not have peace with anybody else around you in your life because it's so broken and so messed up. But you can know that by putting your trust in Jesus, you now have peace with God. And you need to let that peace with God wash over you. You need to let God show you that he loves you, that he has received you, that he is not trying to punish you or make you have to pay some penalty for your sins anymore. He already put all that penalty for sin on Jesus. And so now you can walk in freedom and in his grace and in God's acceptance. And that gives you peace. You've experienced God's grace. So that's step number two, receiving God's forgiveness. Step number three is now that you are a new creation in Christ, now that you have received God's forgiveness and you have access to God by grace through your faith 
you stand in a right relationship with God. Now God says, that forgiveness that I've given you, I want you to pass on that forgiveness to anybody else in your life that has hurt you, that has committed offenses against you, that has abused you, that has made you feel less than at, at any point in your life. God wants you to extend forgiveness to others. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, his letter, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How, how can I forgive somebody as much as they hurt it. You don't know how much that person has hurt me. You don't know the abuse that I've endured by that person in my life. And, and I said, maybe I don't, but God does. God was with you in every moment of every day in your life. He knew what you went through. He knew the pain that you endured and he's now forgiven you. And he's asking you to say, to the depth that I've forgiven you of your sins, I want you to extend that forgiveness to, some, to the other person who's offended you, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So extending that forgiveness of the others. Forgiveness, really, when you practice that, friends, forgiveness will take off the shackles of hurt and bitterness and resentment in your life. You cancel the debt of the other person that did that wrong to you, and you realize the person that you actually freed up the most was yourself. That was the ghost of past hurts and offenses. It is overcome, as I say, it's overcome by realizing you're a new creation in Christ, receiving God's forgiveness, and then extending that forgiveness on to those who have hurt you. Next week, we're going to talk about that other ghost, the ghost of our past mistakes. And we're going to use Ebenezer Scrooge even more, his character and his story, in next week's message. Um, we're going to uh, get some help from that crotchety old guy, Ebenezer Scrooge. I, wa I want to say something before I close, friends. I want to talk about spiritual preparation. Because maybe you're saying to yourself, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not at a place where I can just forgive everyone who's ever done any wrong against me. One of the ways you can develop that area of growing in God's grace uh, like Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways we grow in our spiritual preparation is by developing every week that new relationship that you have with God. You know, before God calls you to do something bigger and deeper, friends, he may call you to do something rather simple at first. So then God would look at you God looks at you and he asks you to do something and then he's going to say, will you do this simple act of obedience? You know, a lot of people in their lives say, uh, they'll say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I will do anything for you. I will go be a missionary in the deepest dark place of Africa or New Guinea or the South Pacific. I'll go be a missionary in the Middle East for you if you want me to. And God says, great. That is a great attitude. But here's what I want you to do first. Will you meet with me each day, whether it's morning or afternoon or evening, will you meet with me each day, God says, in Bible study and in prayer? Would you read my word and let me speak to you and then you speak back to me in prayer? Uh, God can do anything with a simple start. So before you go off saying, I'll do anything for God, do the very first thing that God wants you to do now that you're a Christ follower. Spend time daily with him.
Do you know some researchers did a massive study a few years ago studying followers of Jesus Christ, and they wanted to know about which Christian practices that people did, which of these practices actually helped people grow and mature the most. They asked one basic question. What is the one activity that Christians do that results in the most growth and maturity? And you know what? The number one activity by far that Christians can do to grow is having a daily time of Bible reading and prayer with God. In fact, they even uh, did research and spelled it out scientifically. They said, Christ followers, if you want to keep growing in your faith and keep progressing forward and becoming more like Jesus, you need to spend time with God four times a week is the minimum. Spending time in Bible study, Bible reading, and prayer. That's the minimum threshold for growth. And if you do that, friends, what's going to be the result? It's going to be ongoing transformation. Look what happens, friends, when you spend time with God. Look what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces, we're not covering your face up like Moses trying to hide God's glory. We're trying to unveil our face as we contemplate the Lord's glory and doing so are being transformed into his image, the image of the Lord with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul makes that promise that as you spend more time with God and you contemplate the Lord's glory, he is going to transform you into his image with ever-increasing glory. What an amazing promise. It reminds me of what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8. He says, taste and see Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Wow, what a great promise. I think one of the reasons, you know, as we're in this COVID season, as we're still shut down here doing online church, I don't know if you've ever asked the question. I've asked this question to God a hundred times in the last seven or eight months. Why COVID, Lord? Why is this COVID season of shutdown and shelter in place? Why is it going on so long? I've come to a conclusion on this. So I'll just share my opinion. I think one of the reasons God has allowed this COVID season to go on as long as it has is because God is shaking up his church. God is sifting out the nominal, the casual. God is sifting out the cafeteria Christians. They only pick and choose a little bit of God what they want, and they throw out the rest because it's distasteful to them. But God is, is sifting out, in a way, the casual Christians from the rest of the body of Christ, and he's allowing this time to do that sifting. And so God what he wanted you to do during the COVID season, he wanted you to use that time at home when you couldn't go out and do all those other activities and fill up your time with all kinds of other stuff. He wanted you to use that time at home to grow closer to him. He wanted you to become a more developed follower. And he wanted you to have a deeper walk in relationship with the Lord. And so what's happened? You know, it, it's very interesting. I can recall it like it was yesterday, back in March and early April. In the beginning of the COVID shelter in place, 
A lot of people did wake up spiritually. A lot of people did tune in in record numbers to different online church services and Christian podcasts. And they started going on Version and getting the app or going on Bible Gateway and getting that app and figuring out a daily Bible reading plan. A lot of people in the early weeks, they got into it. More people started to read their Bible. They began those programs. They read some good Christian books. They listened to Christian podcasts and messages. And, and more so than they'd been doing in years previous. And it was great. It looked, in fact, I was praying. I said, Lord, use this COVID shutdown time to cause revival and spiritual awakening in America and in your church. And it actually looked like it was happening. It looked like there was a genuine revival on the way for about three or four weeks. The problem was, friends, that it was short-lived. The problem was that discipleship is actually a long obedience in the right direction. You cannot become like Jesus in three or four weeks. It's a lifetime journey. And God wants you in those daily disciplines of Bible reading and prayer in order to accomplish that. So we have to discipline ourselves to say, Lord, I want to be transformed. I want to be free from these shackles of my past mistakes and the past hurts and offenses done to me. I want to be, I want to be free like your son, Jesus. I want to live like him and be an agent of transformation in this world, making it a better place and causing human flourishing. I want to do all that. And God says, great. We're going to begin every day with Bible reading and with prayer. And as you do that spiritual discipline, you will find yourselves growing and being transformed and becoming more like Jesus. God will show you areas of your life that he wants you to work on. God will show you areas of your life that you're doing great. And he says, do more of that. You're on the right track. So we need to discipline ourselves for that daily Bible time with God. Here's the way forward. The way forward is always the way Paul says it in his letter to the Ephesians. You know, Paul had this great way of saying, uh, at some point, friends, you got to quit looking in the rearview mirror. You can never make much progress if you're always looking backward. Churches, boy, is that not a message to the church? We can't make our way forward and reach a new generation for Christ if we're always looking backward to quote the good old days. Yesterday's strategy is not going to win this year's championship. Paul says it this way, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. There's an there's a imagery of an athlete just running and straining, getting the most out of their body to win that prize. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What do you have to do so you can look forward? You have to stop looking back, forgetting what is behind. Once you've forgiven, once you know you've been forgiven, you need to leave your past in the past. You can learn from your past, but you are not to live in your past. And when you forget what is behind and start straining toward what Jesus has for you in the future, you will let go of those shackles of the ghosts of your Christmas past. You know, here's a great promise for you in the Bible. It comes, in, uh, it comes from... Uh, Peter's words in the book of Acts chapter 3. This is God's promise to you. He says this, repent therefore. You know that word repent, it means turn back to God. Turn back to God and be converted 
that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you know, friends, I, I really believe this. When you hear a good message, whether today is one of those or not, but when you hear a good message, do you know what God causes in your own heart? He causes one area of your life to repent because there was some way that you were drifting away from God. And God says, this is the pathway. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Here's the path I want you to walk now. Walk in this path. And repentance means turning away from what was leading you away from God and coming back to God. And the promise from God is when you do that, the times of refreshing will come. The times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Friends, God can replace your inner fears and he can give you sweet peace. You'll learn to think better. And when you learn to think better, you will live better. You can live from a place of peace. Jesus, he's not a faraway God. He wants to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the son of God. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk every day in fellowship with him, with him as your leader and him as your friend. Friends, if you've been drifting away from God and you want to turn around and you want to come back to him, the, the, the way forward is as simple as a decision in your own heart. You're turning back to him. You're repenting and you're praying a prayer like this. So I invite you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, today I'm turning back to you. Lord, I'm not going to drift away from you anymore. I'm going to stay on the right path. I'm going to start learning those daily spiritual disciplines of reading your word and praying with you every day, because that is the pathway to keep growing, to keep moving in the right direction. Lord Jesus, I want you to know that if you are my leader, I am surrendering ownership of my life to you today. Today, Lord, I'm giving you my faith and my trust, and I'm choosing to follow you in a committed way like I've never done before. Lord, come into my life. Show me the way forward. Show me what it means to walk every day in close fellowship and in friendship with you. And make me an agent of change to make this world a better place. To bring the kingdom of God from heaven to this earth. Today, I'm going to let go of my ghosts of my past hurts and offenses, Lord. If you forgave me and you gave me new life, then I can learn to forgive others, the people who have hurt me. And through you, Lord, I know that I'll find peace. I'll find joyful freedom from the shackles of my past. That's my declaration of faith today, Lord. Free me from the shackles of my past. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.